Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly podcast, where you'll get the real rundown of what's going on in Scottish politics. We have the interviews, the gossip, and sometimes the laughs. So please join us. And remember, when anyone tells you they're not interested in politics, you tell them you know a podcast that can help them out with that. And you can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. So enjoy. Hello and welcome to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly look at the world of Scottish politics. I'm Chris Marshall, Deputy Editor of Holyrood, and on this edition of the podcast we'll bring you an interview with Airbnb's Amanda Couples, looking at the easing of COVID restrictions and the expected boom for domestic tourism over the summer. Before that, I'm joined by journalist Louise Wilson to talk about what's been happening over the past week. And Louise, you've written uh, this week about what you see as herd immunity by stealth. What, What do you mean by that? Um, I basically meant that the governments across the UK just seem to be content with opening up despite cases still being like phenomenally high. Um, and, you know, a lot of the prediction models that they've got in place, they're predicting 50,000 cases a day by the 19th of July, 100,000 cases a day by what the end of summer or something. Um, so it just seems that they're content with just those cases still rising at this point as though the past year hasn't really taught us anything. Um, I appreciate that we're in a different space to what where we were when we were talking about herd immunity at the start of the pandemic because we do have the vaccine but the fact is is that that's not 100% effective. We both know people that are double vaccinated that have still caught it and it doesn't consider the implications of things like long covid or any new variants that might be coming along yeah and i mean what about the decision on face masks because i think uh you know i i'm certainly of the view that we do need to get back to some form of normality we do need to have a kind of reopening um now that now that a lot of people are double jabbed but the the message that's being sent on face masks seems a little bit premature to me it seems like There'll be a lot of people, um, certainly from the noises the the UK government is making, there'll be a lot of people that will take the message that they no longer need to wear a face mask. Yeah, absolutely. Like I agree there needs to be some kind of plan, but I don't really understand why face masks aren't part of that plan to reopen. Because, I mean, you know, they're mildly uncomfortable, they're a bit inconvenient, but, you know, if it helps protect the people around you, then surely that's a good thing. Um, I appreciate it. it might be different for the people that are having to wear them, you know, eight hours a day while still on a shift. But um, for most of us, you know, a bit of a bit of cloth over our mouths is maybe not a big deal. And I think actually, I think you shared some polling on Twitter the other day um, about actually support for face masks is still relatively high. So it just yeah. seems like a bit of a weird move to to step that back. Yeah, I mean, I think it was YouGov polling that suggested that um, it was almost, I think it was a figure in the 70s, I think maybe 77% of people polled said they were still in favour or they would still wear face masks in certain public places. So you wonder, uh, you know, I, I wonder if Boris Johnson is perhaps responding to people within his own party by sending signals on, on face masks because it seems like the majority of the, of the British public will still continue to wear face masks. And it was interesting, I thought, in the press conference with uh, Downing Street the other day, both um, Patrick Valance and, and the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, said when they were asked about face masks that they would continue to wear them in enclosed public spaces. 
Yeah, to be fair to the UK government, they have said that they're going to bring forward new strength and guidance about like when you might want to use them. So on crowded public transports, in crowded shops. Um, and, and they've said it basically gives you that sort of flexibility and that personal responsibility to, to decide, actually, if you're in a space where there's only like one other person around, then maybe a face mask isn't needed. But just the way that they've framed it and they very much focused it focused it on you don't need a face mask anymore oh but also here are some reasons why you might need it as opposed to maybe doing it the other round and saying we still suggest it but we accept that there are places where they might not be as necessary and what about the scottish government i mean we've we've yet to hear uh, fully from them about the the lifting of restrictions but is, is there any reason to believe that they will do things differently to uh, the uk government Um, I mean, we know that they are doing it a little bit differently. They're doing it a little bit later. So although we do have a a 19th of July uh, lifting of restrictions here, that means two level zero. So that's sort of a step back, like that's nearly normal, but not quite normal. And then full lifting of restrictions isn't due in Scotland until the 9th of August. Um, But yeah, it doesn't seem like the Scottish government is taking a step back from that. We've heard a few noises here and there about, you know, we need to be careful and things are being kept under review, but we've not necessarily heard anything that that suggests that actually that's going to be delayed. Yeah, but the Scottish government seems to be sending a slightly different message on face masks, at least. Yeah, they have said um, that there will be an ongoing need for face masks after even the 9th of August, um, especially, as we've said, on public transport in shops and things like that. Um, And I think that just reflects maybe um, just a bit more caution, although I think it, again, comes from um, just maybe the SNP not having the same base as the Conservative Party that, as you've said, Boris Johnson seems to be catering towards in his lifting of of those restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the the subject of the podcast this week is about going on holiday. Um, Health Secretary Hamza Youssef has found himself on the front page of the Scottish Sun today after a trip to Harry Mm -hmm. Potter world of all places. Um, Do you you think it's fair enough for the Sun to run that story or or does even the Health Secretary need, need a holiday? Um, I mean, to be honest, I can see it from both sides. You know, it is now Scottish Parliament's in recess. Anyone deserves a holiday, really. It's not like anyone can be working 365 days a year. Um, but at the same time, we are at the moment facing like a really quite remarkable increase in cases. So it, it seems a bit of a strange time. But then I have seen in, in, his, in Hamza Yousaf's um, comments today that, you know, it was a, a well-planned a long time planned trip with his mm-hmm. uh, stepdaughter to go down there. So it seems a bit fair to say, well, actually, you should have told her no. Yeah, I mean, it, see, it seems to me that uh, no matter the year, no matter the, the crisis, there's always a story. There's a sort of perennial story about a politician going on holiday, you know, whether it's David Cameron or Tony Blair or this time Humza uh, uh, Yusuf. Um, they are entitled to go on a, on a holiday, of course, but I mean, I think the situation in Scotland is particularly dire at the moment, and it's probably as bad as it's been uh, at any point in the pandemic, uh, based on uh, based on 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 the number of cases. But I'm sure, in terms of the the Sun's editorial decision, they just heard the words Hamza Yusuf and Harry Potter World, and it was a story too good to uh, too good to pass up. 
Definitely, there has been some exceptional photoshopping on on, yeah. on the front page. <laughs> yeah, indeed, I particularly liked uh, like uh, John John Swinney is uh, is Ron Weasley, I think, if if I've got my Harry Potter characters <laughs> correct. Um, and what what about you, Louise? I mean, would would you consider going on a foreign holiday at the moment? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I think aside from you know the concern about other variants and and bringing it back into the UK and all all the quarantine arrangements. I'd also be too scared to go anywhere just in case it suddenly got moved to the amber or red list because there's mm-hmm. no guarantee that you know two weeks abroad it wouldn't suddenly change. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd just be a bit wary about the costs if I'm totally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, I am doing the staycation thing. Um, so I actually have just come back from a camping trip up north, which has been nice. Mm-hmm. And then next week, I'm very excited that I'm going down south to go see my family who I have not seen. Since since February 2020. Thanks, Louise. And now our interview with uh, Amanda Couples, who spoke to Jenny Davidson. Well, I think everyone's thinking about summer holidays at the moment. Obviously, it's the start of uh, school holidays here in Scotland. Some people are probably already away and actually the weather's not too bad. So this seems like a good time to be talking holidays. So I've got here with me Amanda Couples, who is the general manager for Northern Europe at Airbnb, who's going to talk all things domestic holidays, staycations, whatever you want to call them. But we're talking holidays in Scotland here, aren't we? Absolutely. It is the year of the great staycation. (laughs) Um, We are all, um, you know, I think this is the first year that many, um, many British people and certainly many Scots um, have uh, have turned to um, their great land um, as a summer holiday destination. Historically, we've, of course, all uh, fled to Europe for the sun, but this year all of that has changed and um, and everyone's uh, rediscovering our beautiful country, which is um, which is really lovely to see, actually. Um, so it should be a bumper summer for, for, for Scots, that's for sure. Yeah. So before we, we talk tourism more generally, yeah. what about you? Let's um, let's hear a little yeah. bit about yourself. How, how long have you been at Airbnb? Yeah. Why did you join? What were you doing before? And tell us a little bit about your favourite travel destinations and where you're thinking of going this year. Oh, that's always, yes, that's always a very um, difficult question to, to answer. I, I don't know about you, but I find... Um, the longer we re- remain in pandemic mode, the longer my list of kind of places that I uh, I want to get to um, expands to as as time goes on. But um, just to say a little bit about me, so I um, I'm actually relatively new to Airbnb. So I joined in March, so it's been just a little over three months um, as the general manager uh, for Northern Europe, which of course includes um, the UK. Um, I actually I've had a sort of somewhat um, interesting career. I actually started out as a lawyer. Um, I spent time as a consultant, but really for the last um, longer than I care to remember, I really run run businesses. So I spent around 10 years working in media and entertainment businesses. I worked in the music industry and film and TV. Uh, but more recently, I've been working in health technology. So I joined Airbnb from a kind of high growth health tech um, company based in London. Uh, so I, I made in March, as I said, the decision to go from um, digital health to travel and leisure in the middle of a pandemic, which um, lots of people thought was perhaps a little counterintuitive. But I had a I had a good reason for doing it, and um, and and the last three months has, has really borne that out. And we can sort of come on to that later. Um, but favorite 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 staycation is this is always a very tricky question um, to answer. I have. Um, 
I have young kids, so we've been staycationing long before kind of the pandemic, um, the pandemic hit. Um, but I would actually have to say my favourite one. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to go a bit, be a bit controversial. It's not Scottish, um, but we love North Yorkshire actually, close to the moors. Um, so we have a kind of favourite little um, pub. It's not really a little pub, makes it sound terrible. It's a beautiful little pub with rooms um, just on the south side of the moors. Uh, that we go and stay in and just have a wonderful time there and, uh, you know, take the kids off to the ocean uh, for a little bit up to Scarborough, go down to York for a bit of shopping and culture and all the rest of it, but mostly just enjoy the moors and sort of tramping around there. So that's probably my favourite, although it's a stiff competition. That sounds lovely. And we've touched on it already, and obviously that that's a, that's a great example of a, a domestic location to visit yeah. this year. Yeah. So how has travel changed as, as a result of the pandemic? And, and do you yeah. see this as being a, a long-term change or, or just something that's temporary while we're in special measures? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, last year was obviously um, a very, very difficult year and people's ability to travel was very, very restricted. In terms of that coming back, we do believe that this is going to be the travel rebound of the century. Um, But to your point, I think we also think we're going to see really some fundamental structural changes in the way that people travel. And for us, we think about it probably as the biggest shift in how people travel since World War II. So, you know, what does that mean? I think if you want to try and thematically kind of pick out what it means, Really, it's just that line between um, living and working and travelling. All those lines are getting very blurry and kind of mixed up. And and that's what, I guess, the pandemic and being forced to figure out how to work and live remotely from each other has has allowed us to kind of do as we now come out of it. Um, And, and, you know, if you think about kind of how that's manifesting and what we're seeing um, in Scotland and the UK specifically, um, just to just to give you a sort of a, a few different lenses on it. So people are much more flexible over where and when they can travel. Um, remote work is clearly a big driver of that. So just to give you a little factoid, um, when we review Airbnb guest reviews, the volume of those reviews that mention remote work has gone up over 520% in a year. So it's a very marked kind of shift um, in terms of people looking um, for places to work from remotely, also it, the proportion of people who, who um, stay for a longer period of time, so over 28 nights, has also doubled. Um, people ha- are going to different places, to more places in the UK. Um, you know, it's it's perhaps expected with the restrictions, but over 80% of our, our bookings for the summer are for kind of domestic nearby travel. Um, but I think the really encouraging thing and the thing that is different is that, of course, all the, all the places that, you know, we hear about all the time, the Cornwalls, the Devons, the, you know, Edinburghs, the Highlands, like they are, of course, perennially popular. But what we also see is a dispersion of travel and a dispersion of tourism. So all those kind of places that are were perhaps a little bit less known prior to this um, are really coming to the fore. Um, and that that is something that we do see um staying uh we you know we internally conduct consumer um surveys you can see at the tourism boards as well sort of regularly poll people on on how they're thinking about travel and and i think it is a something that will stay this this willingness to consider a different destination a different time of year 
Uh, I think safety is clearly um, a high priority at the moment, and I think that will take a long time to um, that, that feeling to fade. You know, safety is clearly a high priority for all of us. And, you know, one of the ways that you can feel safer is by travelling at off-peak times when there are just fewer people around. Um, so, so we think that all of these things will, you know, nothing is forever, but all of these things will stay um, and will be with us for some time to come, which is good news for, for the British Isles and for, for Scotland um, in particular. Mm. How is Airbnb helping to get Scottish tourism going again? Yeah, I mean, again, clearly the pandemic has had um, a really devastating impact on, on Scottish tourism. From Airbnb's um, perspective specifically, I think it's probably worth just pointing out, you know, travel related to Airbnb adds around £677 million to the Scottish economy every year, supports more than 33,500 Scottish jobs. And really the impact of that kind of stays largely in Scotland with the communities. Um, People who put their listings on Airbnb, who we call hosts, um, Airbnb hosts, um, you know, typically retain up to 97% of, of um, you know, what uh, their listing prices. And so it's very much a, um, a model for us where the, the vast bulk of, um, of the economic activity associated with Airbnb does stay uh, in Scotland. So we're really, um, it's a priority for us to make sure that that impact, you know, that really has been felt, felt everywhere from, you know, from a tiny little village that perhaps only has a few hundred visitors through to Edinburgh that you know, has millions and millions of visitors a year. Um, we want to make sure that when travel does come back, it is sustainable, that it continues to benefit those um, communities and that really it's a, it supports everyone. Um, so, you know, what are we doing? I think there's a, there's a few things. Um, the first is is really around continuing to support the regulation of short-term lets. Um, I think on the on the tourism side of things, uh, we we you know we actively kind of promote the this idea of the redistribution of travel. How can we shine a light on some of those, as we say, lesser-known gems, and what role can we play in in helping do that? Um, tackling noise and nuisance, which is always a perennial issue. Uh, and just generally kind of spreading the economics of uh, economic benefits of travel. Um, you know, obviously, I would love to wave my my magic Airbnb wand that they gave me when I joined um, and make all this happen. Of course, we cannot do this as a single organisation. Um, we see our role as very, very much to work in partnership with um, other members of the tourism community, with the government, with MSPs, um, and to all of the communities that we you know that we work and serve in. So. Um, we hope that the steps that we, we're taking, we can talk a little bit about some of those specific steps, uh, uh, really will pave the way to make um, make this better for everyone and make sure it comes back. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned um, tourism benefiting the communities that it takes place in. Um, what, what can you do to make sure that happens, that actually the communities do benefit from that? Yeah, so I think there's I think there's a few things. The first thing we you know we can do is is as I say point. Um, point Airbnb guests in the direction of those communities and shine a spotlight on them. Um, and so just to give you one example of something we're doing in Scotland at the moment, which is um, a really wonderful campaign uh, that we're doing around the Scottish lowlands. So obviously the tourism industry in Scotland, you know, it gets a little bit synonymous with Edinburgh and the Highlands. 
Um, they are both stunning places to visit. Um, but um, but obviously we all know they don't, you know, they don't have a monopoly on that sort of magic um, that, that brings people to Scotland. Um, so we have been doing a campaign uh, with uh, Visit Scotland and the Scottish Tourism Alliance. And really the idea is to shine, shine a light on, on some of the, you know, often overlooked stays and experiences that, um, that the Lowlands have to offer. So there are independent distilleries, there are bookshops, there's a dark sky reserve and, um, and, uh, and coastlines. And, um, you know, we've, as I said, we've, we've just finished a feature on an amazing uh, uh, you know, independent distillery that my, uh, my team, I think, were very pleased to go up there and uh, take some pictures and sample, sample what it had to offer. But, um, but the idea is really just to be proactive. Um, and, and of course, you know, the great advantage of Airbnb is we have wonderful reach and, and lots of people um, look um, at, at the service and use it. Uh, and the idea is if, if, we can, if we can, you know, really spotlight some of these areas, we can ease the pressure um, and, and spread those benefits. Um, I think another, um, another initiative that we've got going at the moment, which I'm enormously proud of and um, and and I'm hopeful will be really impactful, is we've just launched the um, Edinburgh Community Fund. So this is a slightly different idea. Um, this is about making sure in areas where we don't need to drive any more demand to these areas, that actually that all locals are benefiting from the tourism that's generated um, in those spaces, not just Airbnb hosts. Um, you know, or, or other kind of tourism stakeholders. Um, so the idea, it's very simple. Um, Airbnb will donate £5 from every stay that happens in Edinburgh during August, which obviously uh, in, includes the sort of hybrid version of, um, of the festival that we're going to get uh, this year. Um, so it'll be £5 per stay into a fund, um, and that fund will be managed by uh, community leaders and Airbnb hosts from Edinburgh uh, and will back local projects in the city. So the idea is really just to put that money straight back into parts of Edinburgh that the community feel um, would, would benefit from that. So it's sort of simple idea. Um, it's the first time we've done it anywhere in the world. So we're, we're very excited and proud and, um, and hope that that would be meaningful to the organisations where those funds go. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's kind of a two-pronged approach really to try and ensure that communities that have a lot of tourism benefit from it and are not suffering from more over-tourism and at the same time in ensuring that communities that, that perhaps are lesser known and, and lesser visited are getting a spotlight shone on them right now so that it's about rebalancing tourism, isn't it? That's something you've That's talked exactly about right. quite a lot. That's exactly right. And, and you know, that, that, that is really the heart of it, that, you know, as we build back, we want to build back. You know, that's the, that's um, the Westminster government's slogan, you know, build back better. But it, it, it is, it's about making sure that tourism, we take advantage of, you know, both these changes of behaviour and just direct our activity in the right places to make sure that, that things are sustainable and, and balanced. Yeah, yeah. And, and and part of the sustainability and balance is about um, registration or licensing. And that's obviously a contentious issue, which I, I know Airbnb has strong opinions on. What, what are your feelings about getting the right balance there? Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's, it's funny you say it's a contentious issue. You know, Airbnb, I think, which surprises some people, 
um, and certainly surprised me when when I joined because it's perhaps not the not the popular media narrative. Airbnb is actually very supportive of regulation um, and and has done so in many places around the world. Um, we have over a thousand tax and regulatory agreements already in place with various local authorities and, and legislators. So I think we you know we have always been very very supportive of the concept of um, registration and really I think more broadly the concept of clear and proportionate rules that um, that that again sort of actually benefit the communities they're in. Um, there's obviously um, some concerns in the tourism industry at the moment and we do very much share those concerns. Um, there's a set of specific proposals that are being considered at the moment in Scotland um, and, and the concerns are really simply that those those proposals are too complex, um, very, very costly uh, on the burden of that cost being on, on, in our case, our Airbnb hosts, and very, very bureaucratic. Um, so, you know, just to give you a couple of, of sort of examples of, of why we have these concerns, um, you know, on the cost factor, many, many, many of our hosts uh, you know, this, this perception of kind of the Airbnb host as this big kind of fancy property manager, again, is, is actually not true. Around three quarters of our hosts are hosts who simply, you know, they let out um, a spare room or they're letting out their home whilst they're travelling, so they're letting out the home for less than 30 nights a year. Um, around a third of our hosts actually use the income from hosting to make ends meet. So that's kind of the core of our business. Um, regardless of whether you're one of those people or whether you are a year-round professional property manager, um, you will need to apply for licence under these proposals, which could cost you up to £2,500 or more to comply. And if it's a second home, you might also need to get planning permission. Um, and we just feel that, again, for the vast majority of people who are letting out their space, this is just a completely, you know, quite frankly, burdensome um, burdens and costs that, that vastly exceeds any economic benefit that they might get from hosting. So just, it's not that you shouldn't have a, a fee, it's just it's, it's disproportionate. Um, around complexity, uh, again, we think it's really important that um, a system that comes in is able to be understood by everyone who's operating in it. And again, our concern here is primarily actually for our hosts rather than us as a, us as a business and a platform. Um, the current proposals um, talk about meeting at least 16 mandatory uh, conditions and to get a licence. Um, and the local authority can also add more requirements, which, again, becomes quite confusing and quite difficult for people who, you know, who you might be just letting out your house whilst you're going away. Um, very, very difficult to actually stay on top of all of what that means. And again, I think the question we're asking is, as an, as an industry and, and Airbnb supports this, is that proportionate? Is that needed? You know, what is the benefit in, in, in sort of adding all these extra, extra regulations? So as an industry, we have put forward clearer proposals. Uh, we think they will achieve the same goal. We think, um, you know, our proposals will support local families, also accelerate economic um, recovery, um, and, and, you know, really are, are cost-effective, are proportionate, but fundamentally we do support short-term regulation. We are 100% committed to continue to work with the Scottish Government to make sure um, we get this right. 
and um, and yeah, it's really watch this space. But um, but you know, very as I say, very much committed to making sure we do this in a constructive and, and open way that that gets the best result for Scottish communities. Mm-hmm. And you've also done some research recently about the impact the the economic benefits of short-term lets through Airbnb in, in Scotland can you share a bit about what you found there yeah so we um we've just done some um some um research with um a company called Big Art Economics and and that was sort of some of the stuff I was referring to before around you know this this idea that you know it's it's just shy of three quarters of a billion pounds worth of economic activity there that Airbnb is you know is adding into the economy, um, and and you know again thirty three and a half thousand jobs is is the kind of um, is the is the added added jobs number that they've come up with that is a huge number of um, people and and a great amount of economic activity and I think what what would be a real shame is that if, if from a place of good intention, i.e. regulation, um, we did something in Scotland that actually stifled um, that economic activity and that job creation process, um, that would be, I think, a real shame. And, and you know, I, I think Scots by and large, and again, there's, there's sort of research to support this, it's, a, it's an overwhelming number of the Scottish people recognise that tourism is going to be a huge driver of recovery as we come out of this out of this pandemic, and so again, you know, you accept that tourism is a huge driver of recovery. You accept that there's a huge amount of economic um, activity associated with that um, with that recovery, um, and therefore let's try and preserve it and and do it sustainably and do it in a way um, that is rebalanced and is balanced and and make sure that that communities get the best of it but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. As someone much greater than I said, a week is a very long time in politics. And believe me, I know Scottish politics is never boring. So don't leave it long. Make sure you come back and join us on Politically Speaking. And remember that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And do tell your friends, because everybody has an interest in politics.